Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 345, recorded July 11th, 2021. So the old 7-Eleven, that's today. So Yes, 7-Eleven. A store I frequented when I was young and have not stepped foot in probably for the past three decades. Uh, You're missing out. I go there all the time. <laughs> for comic books, yes, and Slurpees, yeah, cool. yeah. It, they actually had them in Japan too, so I, I, oh was, really? I was able to continue my Seven Eleven uh, experiences abroad. Oh, cool! Did not know that. Yeah, it's funny which places. I was working in in England for a while, and there were Safeways, which oh. was like, oh, Safeways, <laughs> cool, okay. So, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, convenience stores from abroad. We're talking about <laughs> UK comic strips. Yep. The 34th and the 35th uh, storyline. Story line. Right. All and part of volume three. Of the and reprints, we're yep. coming towards the end. Yep. We only have two full stories and then some little annual stories that were peppered in into the reprints from way back when. Or I guess they weren't really reprints back then. They were, uh, their annuals were just, I guess they were reprints Stand-alone plus some stories? new ones. But yeah, there's oh, there's a, a there's about okay. 11 little random short stories that we'll need to cover too. Cool. Okay. But yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, these stories have their charms, but, oh wow, these are long and all over the place. So right. 30, we're doing two today, and thank God we're only doing two, because there are a lot of issues in both of these, particularly 35. Yeah, 35 is a long one. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, these take place between the, the end of 1972 to halfway through 1973. So you're talking about every week you're just getting, you know, two or three pages, and... Yeah. I mean, it takes almost takes almost a whole year. I mean, a little over a half a year just for these two stories. Yeah, that's a that's a long time. Yeah, and if you were a youngin reading these magazines, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe having it spaced out like that, two pages a week, but reading it, you know, like we are now, just nonstop. It's just like, oh my goodness, it went on forever. Yeah, <laughs> and I can even buy into the recap. I mean, it's you have to have the little recap at the first issue the first panel you probably do so i'm not i'm not faulting it for that i'm faulting it for all the other stuff they just throw in there that doesn't go anywhere and could have just been cut out i don't know is it like uh like soap operas where they just maybe don't know where the end of the story is going when they start writing and then they just eventually write themselves into the end maybe or maybe they do know where they originally intended to go, and as they're producing, new ideas pop up, and maybe they, oh, well, maybe we should go in this direction. I don't know. But uh, 34 is nine issues long. 
And 35 is, what did we count, 16? 16. 16 issues to get through a story. And in both cases, you can tell that they've, they've made certain story decisions that are just filling things, just full stop. And, and maybe to some degree that's because you just you, you want to end things on a cliffhanger to keep them bring it, come, coming back the next uh, issue. The next week, but, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're doing so many unnecessary things. And I don't know what this TV weekly is. I mean, I kind of mm. picture it as being a, uh, I don't know, a TV guide type thing, but I don't even mm. think it's that. I think it's just a magazine. But, I mean, I know as a kid, you know, following comic books, um, you got an issue a month, and uh, you know, stuff happens and you miss a couple of months. I mean, I can't imagine having to try to get an issue every week just to get these these two pages of this storyline. So, I, right. as a kid, I can imagine missing you know four or five stories at a time, mm. and then trying to pick back up, which would be difficult, or maybe not. <laughs> it's like oh the those two you missed didn't really advance the storyline that much yeah every, every so maybe you can weeks, pick it up again yeah you just think that oh they must have started a new story because uh, i don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> or maybe hey nothing really changed that much it's still the green aliens well that's kind of like how uh i mean i don't want to keep ragging on soap operas but um from from what i've talked to people that watch them i mean they're kind of designed like that, where if you miss a couple episodes, or uh, you're not going to be totally lost. Oh, you're not, because my wife watches two of them: uh, Young and the Restless, and what's the other one? the The other one is newer. Well, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, that thing's probably been on for decades too. But whatever, she watches two of them, and so I'm inside making sandwiches or something for lunch, and then so I'll watch a little bit of it, and it's like. Oh my God! I can't believe how many episodes a single conversation can take. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, so think of think of these stories like that. They have yeah. to be written so that uh, you can miss a few and come back and not be completely. Lost. I guess so. Or maybe you should make your stories not so long. <laughs> I know that uh, in the uh, the Doctor Who comic they had. They have a, a two-page comic book uh, mm-hmm. ongoing in the old Doctor Who magazine. And, you know, I have lots of issues, but then I do have gaps. And, and so it always bothers me to try to, when I read up to a certain spot, and then I went to go get that next issue, and it's like, it's not there. I guess I'll just have to make up what happens. And then I'm, <laughs> and then I'm lost. <laughs> I don't work well that way. I'm like, i got to figure yeah. out what's going on. Exactly. All the... All the dots must connect. So, anyways, well, we've badmouthed it enough. Should we actually uh, talk about it? Let's do that. So, um, Storyline 34 is from Valiant and TB21 issues 64 through 73, whose published dates are December 16th, 1972 through February 17th, 1973. And uh, I guess the creative team is writer unknown, and the artist is John Stokes. Do you do you know who the writer is? I, I don't. No, nope, I couldn't find it. Okay. Whoever he is, he likes to <laughs> keep going. Many many 
uh, issues. Okay. The Enterprise enters an uncharted star system with five planets, two of which are in the Goldilocks zone that could make them habitable worlds. Ohura opens up radio channels to see if she can find any transmissions from intelligent civilizations, but all she receives is static that seems to be artificially jamming her broadcast and reception. Hmm. The crew finds their mighty ship being buffeted by a space-borne whirlpool that their engines cannot blast them free of. They start to receive a radio transmission from Commander Freck of Zentar. Freck's ship is stationed on perimeter guard duty around a dangerous space storm and can bring the Enterprise out of danger um, and to their world if Kirk gives the order to cut power to the Enterprise engines. Kirk does so as the Zentarian ship appears and offers Kirk and some of his crew his onboard uh, hospitality if they want to come over as honored guests to his ship. Freck cuts the communications channel and tells his crew the Enterprise is exactly what he is looking for and that Kirk's days as her captain are numbered. <laughs> End of issue 64. Issue 65. Rather than using the transporters, Kirk and Spock do a spacewalk, why wouldn't you, to Freck's ship while Scotty and the rest of the crew continue repairing the Enterprise from the space storm. Kirk and Spock enter through an airlock where Captain Freck welcomes them and takes them to his quarters to discuss their visit to Zentar as their honored guests. Kirk says one of his core missions is to meet new potential allies of the United Federation of Planets. After Freck and his guests leave the Zentar ship's bridge, a sneaky radio officer named Brett makes a co covert call to his cousin Czar back at some other location. Czar is informed of the coming of the Federation starship and turns, a, turns to a robot that looks like the Lost in Space B-9 robot, but with a large baked potato for a head. Czar says to the robot that they took away your brothers and thought they won. But you will be reunited with them and conquer all of Zentar. Apparently, to remind Czar of how destructive the robot is, he orders it to blast a nearby rock formation, which it dutifully does with the zap of a directed energy beam. Meanwhile, Kirk and Spock are on a shuttle from Freck's ship to the planet's surface. They converse and find out that Freck's planet has its fair share of troublemakers that flare up from time to time. Freck tells Kirk and Spock not to worry about them, as the authorities have things well under control. As the shuttle comes in for a landing, Czar is outside watching its descent, saying, bring them down to me. End of issue 65. Issue 66, Czar orders the robot to bring down the shuttle Kirk and Spock are in, so it zaps the shuttle with energy bolts from its pincher hands. Before the shuttle crashes hard, the robot is ordered to bring down the shuttle using some kind of tractor beam built into its shiny metal body. Czar, who was revealed to be a scientist that went to the dark side, radios up to his cousin Vrat, who is still on Freck's spaceship. Czar tells him it's time for phase two of the plan to free Czar's robots and take over all of Zentar. On receiving word of the shuttle crash, 
Scotty signals down to Zentar, proposing to send down two Enterprise crewmen to investigate the crash, which Verrett says is exactly what Zara wants them to do. End of issue 66. Issue 67. Scotty beams Sulu and Chekhov down to the supposed crash site, but finds an intact shuttle. Rather than going to the shuttle to see if anyone's inside, Sulu and Chekhov report to Scotty and move on to the only structure in the vicinity which looks like a private dwelling. Zar watches their approach, telling himself that this is exactly what he wants. Sulu and Chekhov unholster their phasers as they enter the house without even knocking. As they enter the house, Zar and his evil robot companion exit and step into the Enterprise's transporter beams that for some wacky reason was left running from when Sulu and Chekhov beamed down. <laughs> Go figure. When they materialize on the ship, the robot zaps the blue-shirted transporter operator. Yes, they have medical people or scientists running the transporter these days. Zara says the crewmen will remember nothing of their attack as they sally forth to their hiding place. Meanwhile, on the planet, Sulu and Chekhov find the captain and his party from the shuttle. None of them remember a thing about their shuttle being shot out of the sky. Sulu and Chekhov can't believe they recall nothing of the crash. Spock points to the shuttle sitting outside and makes the revelation its hatch was pried open from the outside. End of issue 67, issue 68. As they emerge from the building and look at the shuttle, Kirk concludes the shuttle door must have come open during the crash. They see a tombstone with Zar's name on it. Freck says the house is a prison where Zar, a political exile, was imprisoned in isolation. Believing the gravesite, Freck concludes he must have died and they must have made their way to the building after the crash on their own. They all chalk it up to what a wacky world it is and proceed to the capital to meet the Zentarian leader. When Kirk meets the leader, he tells Kirk the void of storms the Enterprise was caught in is artificial. He beckons Kirk to a device to tell him why it is there. Zetin is an asteroid uh, close by to Zentar that can support life. A renegade scientist and his robot army fled there after their attempt barely failed to take over Zentar. Their own technicians developed the Void of Storms as an artificial means to keep Zetin and Zentar forever separated by an artificial storm. The great leader tells Kirk they will pause the storm long enough for the Enterprise to get through and enter standard orbit around Zentar. Meanwhile... The stowaway Zar and his evil robot, Hitten, are on the Enterprise and waiting to finally get past the storm and back into a position to strike their bitter Zentarian enemies. End of issue 68. 69. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk takes the ship through the temporarily halted void of storms to get into orbit around Zentar. As the ship passes the asteroid Zetin, Kirk explains the Zentarians are afraid of Zetin enough to create the Void of Storms because it's populated with an army of super robots and a mad eater. The Void of Storms keeps the barbarians at the gate. Meanwhile, Zar instructs his killer robots to cut sensitive control lines in the Enterprise to trigger a state of confusion on the ship. 
Zara uses his killer robot to cut through crewmen between them and the shuttle bay. They take a shuttle down to the asteroid Zetin. Kirk calls down to warn the president of the big trouble coming his way. End of issue 69, issue 70. Kirk informs the Zentarian president of the man with the killer robot heading down to Zetin. The Zentarian president and his aide realize they still have time to reactivate the void of storms to stop Zar, but that would destroy the Enterprise as well as keep Zar off Zentar. When told of the president's dilemma, Kirk offers to stop Zar with all means at his disposal and is given the go-ahead. Kirk and Spock lead an armada of all remaining Enterprise shuttles that they fly down to the asteroid to stop Zar. Meanwhile, Zar is at the unguarded storage warehouse and releases, releases his army of robots. He sees the fleet of shuttle craft on his tail and says they will be useful target practice for his killer robots. End of issue 70. Issue 71. This is going to end soon. The shuttle fleet comes under fire from the killer robots. Kirk says the force shields are protecting them, but not for long. Eventually, explosions in the sky make Zar think he's won and turns his attention to the attack on Zentar. He opens a big door to unveil some kind of missiles or rockets that he has by the score. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise, they think the shuttles too are lost since they lost contact with them. When suddenly, Kirk contacts them, saying they triggered three of their own missiles to make Zar think the shuttles exploded. They land on the planet, but Kirk gives his strike team less than a 50-50 chance of success, even with the element of surprise. End of issue 71. Kirk orders Spock to deploy a drone, a drone, to scan the surroundings and get a pinpoint fix on Zara's base. After they have it, they transmit the location to the Enterprise and order Scotty to use his best judgment on blasting Zara's base if Kirk's attack fails. While Zara is making preparations, including setting launch control automation, he sees the three shuttlecraft flying low over some mountains and swooping in on their location. Kirk gives the order to fire missiles, which all directly hit Zara's installation. Not one to take chances, Kirk orders them to come around for another attack run. End of issue 72. Issue 73. After pummeling the immense installation several times, Kirk is unsure if they hit Zara and all his robots, so they fire a teleprobe rocket into the installation for a look around. Zara sees the probe enter through the roof and look around. He sets the final launch controls and enters the lead rocket bound for Zentar and sweet, sweet revenge. The teleprobe shows Kirk, Zar, and a rocket fleet's location. Their final salvo of rockets are aimed at the four sides of the roof, which causes the roof to collapse in on Zar and his robots. Kirk concludes Zar and his rockets are trapped in the collapsed roof rubble. They withdraw... And as soon as they enter space, a huge explosion at Zar's installation convinces Kirk that Zar and his robots are utterly destroyed. Kirk asks for a channel to be open to the Zentarian president so he can tell them the good news and not to blow up the Enterprise by reactivating the Void of Storms. 
end of issue 73 and the storyline. Nice. Wee boy, was that all over the place, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed it was. I, I was so confused in the story. Okay, so it was all over the place, and it was literally all over the place. So in many parts of the story, it was hard for me to know, are they on Zentar? Are they on the asteroid Zetin? Or is there maybe a third place involved? It was very confusing for me. But luckily, I I was doing the synopsis. I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I got everything straight. So I finally did, and it's like, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So is your life better now that you got it straight? <sighs> I guess. <laughs> so uh, so much of the action took place on the asteroid Zetin, and uh, very little of it on Zentar. And I didn't get that at first, on first read. How did you, you do? Um, yeah, I, I had a hard time following it. Yeah, this is one of those ones that it was just like, I don't know, I, I don't know. I have a hard time reading these kind of, like, without like getting really sleepy and like I'm just gonna take a little <laughs> nap in the middle of it. <laughs> so yeah, it took me quite a few days to read this, um, yeah. just because it was like, it was like drinking Nyquil. It was just like <laughs> it, it, two pages in, and I'm just like barely keeping my eyes open. The good NyQuil. Fli- yeah, Flintstone but... style where you have to put the like toothpicks in your eyelids to keep them from shutting. That, that's the way I feel when I'm reading these. <laughs> well, I didn't fall asleep, but, you know, it was like, it's like you don't have to, just don't think about it and just let it wash over you. <laughs> that's really it. But then it was really bugging me. Uh, okay, so apparently Zar was on Zetin, isolated in one part of Zetin. Yeah, with some kind of force shields or something keeping him in. Right. And then on another part of Zetin is where all the robots were housed, warehoused, with the rockets and stuff, to take them all to Zentar. And it's like, what? Wait a minute. So I thought they escaped. I thought Zar and his robots escaped to the asteroid. And if they escape to the asteroid, then how did they get separated? Yeah, why are they not together? Exactly. I mean, he's got one of his robots, but only one. And apparently it's enough. And um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then, and then the. Uh, the transporter beams are left on. Now that was actually pretty funny. That was very funny. <laughs> and did and didn't that happen in yours too? That the transporter beams were on? No, just no. somebody randomly beams into my in thirty five, just out of nowhere. Okay, okay, well, okay, we'll get to that one. But it's like, oh my god, we don't. Taws has never just left the left the transporter <laughs> beams on, and and aren't they like? And plus, that, that's not how it I'm works. It's not. Down. I'm putting stuff down on the planet. <laughs> I'm not just automatically sucking things back up again. Right. Well, technically, you're scanning something down to the molecule level and then exactly. rebuilding it on the floor. It's not like exactly. a, a river that you can go up and down at will. Exactly. Exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. No, I thought that was funny. Hmm. I thought it was funny. 
So the uh, you said that robots look like uh, Robbie the robot with a uh, baked potato on his head. I said the B nine robot, but yeah, B9 I guess you could say it's like yeah, just because they got the uh, you know the the pincers right in the arms for hands. That's that's more uh, B nine as opposed to Robbie. And Robbie B nine from oh Lost in Space. Oh, it was also from Lost in Space. Well, no, not also. Robbie the robot. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, see, I always get them confused. Okay, so yeah, robot is the B nine robot, which is also what I was thinking about. Yeah, they right. They they on the on Lost in Space. They always call them a robot. Right, 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 right. right. But he's a B nine robot. Yeah, and then Robbie the robot has the the dome with the little doohickey spinning around inside of it, right? Well, they both kind of have a a light up clear dome thing on top, but B nine has the one that's kind of a flat oval kind of thing, right? And then B's more I don't know how would I describe it egg shaped a little bit maybe maybe it's a little more high yeah yeah a little, you know, a little, little taller where the B nine is flat and squat and kind right. of squatted down yeah. Okay, so yeah, we were on the same page. I just uh, got my uh, my ro- my robots misnamed. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But then they kind of act like Daleks a little bit, especially when they can shoot stuff out of their little pincher arms. Yep. Which reminded me of the suction cups on the Dalek. <laughs> the plungers. Yeah. <laughs> but then when there was a bunch of them, I was like, oh man, it's just like it's just like a bunch of Daleks, just little yeah, short ones. Try. Or is that what they say? Exterminate. Exterminate. That's it. Right, right, right. Exterminate. Destroy. Psh. You crazy? Sorry. Sorry. It's been a while since I watched a Dalek episode. Yeah. So speaking of Doctor Who, you do gotta uh, and catchphrases. I mean, he did have the Cybermen saying "Resistance is futile" way before the Borg made it cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. They. Oh, really? The Cybermen said "Resistance is futile." Uh, yeah, because their whole thing is to replace human parts sure. with uh, right, robots. Right. So right. yeah, they're very they're very similar. Okay, okay. Well, so many things they you know they lift things from each other. Right, right. But well, if, you, if you if you say that, then nobody's going to think Cybermen though. They're going to be like, oh, that's what the Borg say. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I lost the fight with my wife because she was like, well, Cybermen did it first, and I'm like, no, Star Trek is the most original. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the Cybermen saying things like that, but word for word, it's like, oh, I do not remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it was their catchphrase. They just had said it before. At one point. Okay. Right. Right. So, anyways, back to this issue. Um, I love the little helicopter with the propeller. It's <laughs> so cute. It is. I mean, so so they've got a drone decades before... You know, uh, we were able to buy buy them right <laughs> at toy stores or more serious ones. Yeah, I like how it just pops out of the top of the the mm. shuttle. Yep. Which you know you've seen those shuttles. There's not enough room to store a drone in that in that roof. No. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's enough room for rockets, <laughs> you know, for impulse, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's just a thin piece of cardboard. What are you doing having a drone in there? Exactly. But yeah, I thought that was cute. Not very and, practical because you couldn't no. use that in space. 
you couldn't like pop no. out the drone in space because there's no, no air to propel it. Exactly, exactly. And it's got a, a cable, right, connecting it. So, oh, is that cable we, supposed to like power it or something? I assume. I mean, oh, so it's not even radio controlled. Well, it isn't even battery controlled. Apparently, they don't have batteries in the future. I thought they had those transtators. <laughs> that's supposed to be like a resistor or a transistor. Uh. So that's not a power source. That's a computing whatever, which is Majagi. Uh. So on the one hand, this is impressive that they've got what essentially is a drone, right? Yeah, it even has like the four propellers on the sides, which well, I thought was kind of cool. Oh, it has about oh, okay. Yeah, it has four propellers on the side, and then it has one propeller on the top. Oh, I missed. Oh, yeah, you're right. Look at that. All right, okay. But they're but it doesn't look they look like they're working on the side. They're working so fast it just looks like that. <laughs> they're really going in it. Or they just didn't have to go anywhere. They just had to go straight up. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's only used for uh, maneuvering left and right, for strafing. There you go. That must be it, strafing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got that little, like, gun kind of thing on the top front, which must be a sensor. That right. Be the but sensor. the best thing is is that it has, like, what looks like a uh, deflector dish. And the, <laughs> <laughs> You're the right. Bottom. I was like, oh, my goodness, that thing can move. It, is that another own, sensor? It has its own deflector dish. I have oh. no idea. Or, or is that the sensor, and it, that really is some kind of little tiny weapon on top? I don't know. It's just stupid. Yeah, it's it's kind of stupid. It's but, but it's so. I mean, it's, it's, it's cute. It's, it's cute. two two panels, and we've talked about it for five minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> now I will have you know that a Speed Racer had his little robot bird thing that popped out of the hood. Of the, was it the hood? Yeah, yeah I, guess, I don't remember. Or, yeah, I guess the hood. Anyway, it popped out somewhere and went around and did scouting for him. So, and when 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 was that show out? I mean, it was I was out when I was a kid. Yeah, it's so from the sixties. Yeah, sixties, seventies, something like that. So yeah. there is precedent through Speed Racer, and that <laughs> actually didn't have a tether to it. That's of true. course, how it actually flew around, I don't know, but whatever. I guess uh, I think a little tiny chimp chimp was inside of it flying chimp around. Chimp. Wasn't that the monkey's name? <laughs> it was the monkey's name. Him and Spritel always popping up in the trunk during races. <laughs> what are you guys doing in the trunk again? Yeah, you think he would check that first every time. Exactly, before they go before they start. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, isn't there a <laughs> robot chicken where he it shows him like fighting with what was it, Racer X or whatever, like where they're really crashing into each other but they still both make it across the finish line, but their cars are all beat up. And then he opens up the trunk, and it's Chim Chim and Spittle all, like... Blood? <laughs> just little chunks of them, because they've been <laughs> shook around and beat up so much. Uh, it's funny. Oh, I've never seen that one. Oh, now i got to find that. Boy, that sounds great. I, I should do a search on that. It might be on YouTube. You never know. Yeah, you never know. That, that would be... Oh, that's great. I love that. Anyways. So, uh, they have another... Uh, Interesting technology here where you can put some leads on a person's head and oh see God. what they're thinking. And also somehow change the clothes, their clothes panel to panel. Well, okay, I didn't notice oh, the no, clothes No, 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 changing. no, that's two different Is that 35? Uh, no, it's 34. Okay, okay. It's where they're putting the leads on and then uh, the crewman's immediate memories. Were oh, that's right. They read the memories. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now they've got magic... 
human being manipulation things in 35 also. Yeah, which – Just something to look forward to. Yeah, 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 which – yeah, I have, things, I have things to say. <laughs> exactly. Anyways. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I just think that they're pulling some of the stuff out of nowhere. Uh, yeah? Yeah, so – yeah, so one of the surviving... I won't say where it's getting pulled out of, just somewhere. Right. So one of the surviving crewmen of the attack of Czar is able to pull out a perfect picture of Czar next to his robot just as it's firing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, how does he remember that? Uh, I, th- I Okay, so part of, the, part of the thing... So the robots can blast things, which is bad enough with a, with a directed energy ray. They can. They have some kind of tractor beam built into them. Wow. And then they can also erase people's memory, supposedly. Ah. Uh, or suppress it, I suppose. Suppress it? Until you get anyway, tied up to the machine, and then it makes you remember. Well, okay, so on the Enterprise, exactly, right. So the, on the Enterprise, they are able to tie them up to a machine that makes the crewman remember. So obviously it's not erasing, but it must be suppressing somehow. All right, memories. see, I actually like that. That's actually a good explanation that I must have missed in my well, notes. Well, as far as suppressing memory, mm, I just came up with that. They said nothing about that. <laughs> but they, that is a precedent in Star Trek. I mean, Jane, uh, not Janeway. Then Pulaski, like, erased people's minds in a, a time or two. Maybe. Maybe. But that's erasing, not suppressing, but whatever. It's What's a nit. the difference? Potato, potato. Well, but... Well, because the memory's still there. You're just suppressing it as opposed to erasing it. Now, in the end, it could have the same effect as long as the suppression lasts. Right, and you don't get hooked up to this machine. This magic machine that, that McCoy happens to have or whoever. Right. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's McCoy administering. It looks like it's Ahura setting it up, which is kind of weird. Actually, oh, it is, it is doing Ahura it? doing it. Yeah, because <laughs> Kirk says, ready, Ahura? She's, like, putting the leads on his head. So she is the one of many talents. <laughs> Ready to begin the electroshock, Captain. <laughs> um, as far as artwork goes, it, it, it's not horrible. I mean, I kind of knew who everybody was. Yeah. And some of the ship stuff looks really good, I thought. some, Yes, I'll agree with that, some of that. When, when the three, and originally when they left the ship, it was all the remaining shuttlecraft. That's, that was a line there. Then somewhere along the line, it became three. Right. So when the three shuttlecrafts are landing on Zetin, that's a, I like that panel a lot. They yeah. got the retro rot- rockets going, and you know, like like Dust's plumes are going up, and uh, I I thought the shuttles had anti gravity. That's how they got up and down. But you know, retro rockets fine. Well, I don't cool. think we ever saw a, a shuttle actually land on the original well, I, show. Well, not at all. They didn't have the budget. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this definitely looks cooler than just the little shoebox slowly falling to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Making control landing like an X-Wing. Yeah. Right. No. Right. No, we got we got retro rockets going. Looks pretty, it, it looks, looks cool. good. And then the uh, that one like video of... Uh, the fight that showed like the robots attacking the, the green clothed people. Um, you know, it's like this oval in the middle of the pan, the middle of the page shows like a big epic fight. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, oh, this is memories of the original attempt to take over the planet. Uh, well, just yeah, him or, him talking about it, showing showing archive footage. I guess is what it's supposed to be when he's showing okay. Kirk. But anyways, that that panel with the uh, fight, it just reminded me of you know those commemorative plates that showed like oh you know uh, they show the characters. No, no, it showed like fights of the Civil War or. Oh. Whatever, gotcha. which showed like these big epic fights on a commemorative right. plate. Do you remember those at all? Not really. Yeah, I never had one, but I remember them advertising it. I, and it might not have been the Civil War. It might have been the like American Revolution or whatever, where they would all right. line up and start shooting each other. But uh, but especially with it kind of being oblong and circular, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it really was like, man, that's like one of those plates. Yeah. That you could get from, you know. <laughs> I forgot the name of the company. They're probably still in business. I think, sure, why not? <laughs> it's really amazing how how people like to buy plates for not eating purposes. Sure, sure, sure. Just art, art, or whatever. Yeah, I have some Star Wars and uh, superhero plates, but I don't have any Star Trek plates. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and, yes, uh, they were they were all gifted, so. I I never bought one. You, you didn't seek out those? Okay. Well, I but, guess that's okay then. But we did hang them up on the wall, so, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like they weren't appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, I don't have one of, of actual wars, but this, this really reminded me of that. So I'm wondering right. if, if that's where... Yeah. I, I've gone back to the page it. you're talking about, and I completely see what you're saying. Yeah. So... Uh, I really don't have anything else aside from Czar looked like Merlin the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he he's he is an evil looking guy with the goatee. I don't know. Maybe it's not Prince Z- Valiant hair, haircut. It's not Czar. It's uh, the one that I'm talking about is. Uh, uh, what, oh, the name? president. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, I don't. Whatever. I don't know. The guy he, that looks like Merlin. Yeah. No, <laughs> just, he looks just like missing Merlin. the hat. Yeah, the president of Z- Zentar. Zentar? Yeah. He does look like Merlin. And and Czar looks like, like a Prince Valiant evil guy or something. Yeah, he's kind of got the Prince... Yeah. He's got the Prince Valiant haircut, and then he's got the, uh, you know, the chin hair. And, and always, like, squinting. And you can imagine him w- delivering his evil villain lines... So, um, it's interesting in both of these stories how there are no phasers. It's all rockets. It's all rockets. Yet when they show a lot of times, like the shuttles, so now the shuttles are armed, which is not unusual for UK comics. But when they say they're firing all their missiles, you know, at the compound, like multiple times to make sure they got them, mm-hmm. um, they're showing the shuttles. Uh, and it looks like, I mean, maybe they mean it to be the, the the trail of the of the missiles that have already that are already out of the frame, but it looks more like directed energy weapons to me. It but, does. Mm. But so did the photon torpedoes and stuff from Star Trek. In fact, it wasn't until Star Trek what two or three, no two, when we saw a photon torpedo. And that was the first time I was like, oh, it's not just like a light. And I always well, thought it was some sort of like plasma torpedo. 
Exactly. So I completely agree with that. Um, I mean, they, they refute. So I don't know if it's this issue or the next one, but I comment on the, on the fact that they always call them missiles. They Here never they call them photon. Right, right. Right. They never call them photon torpedoes. And, but then I, I kind of go off on a tangent just to say, even though the, fo- I, the, the label photon torpedo is cool, it never made any sense. I mean, it, it was it was basically a football of light, right, in the original Taws. Right, right. So it would go out away from the ship, and it was like a point of light, kind of, sort of. Uh, so it wasn't a beam. And so, okay, I guess that made sense calling them photon torpedoes. But, yes, I liked it much better when the photon torpedoes actually turned out to be coffin-shaped <laughs> uh, torpedo devices that had antimatter charges inside of them. Perfect. Right. Now, that makes a lot more sense. Makes no sense why you called them photon torpedoes, but what you're showing me makes perfect sense. But when they showed them in like Star Trek the motion picture, when they yeah. when they fired them at V'ger, and that was the first time we saw them where they looked like twinkling stars with all these like oh right yeah. points the all extra, over it. The extra effects. <sighs> it was so cool. That is. So I was cool. like, oh, that's what it. That's what that old show was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So being a fan of the movies first and then going back and watching the shows, that mm-hmm. was, you know, it was really the reverse for me. When I went back and watched yeah. the old shows, I was like, that's not what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's humorous. Okay. So um, I guess the last thing I have to say here is I guess the use of. Oh, okay. So. Why did Kirk even risk his men in shuttlecrafts and his life in shuttlecrafts when the Enterprise could have just shot him from orbit? I mean, and like they said in the original pilot cage, with enough power to blast half a continent. So why are you even using shuttles? Which normally, by the way... In the in, in in the TV series, they never had armaments; they were just shuttles. Right. But we've seen many times in the UK comic strip, they're they're loaded, they're armed to the teeth. So, and where, where do they fit those missiles? That's what I want to know. But whatever. Where do they fit anything? <laughs> but yeah, the missiles. Yeah, the missiles, the drone, a lot of stuff yeah. in this one that comes exactly. out of nowhere. Exactly. So. Anyway, I just thought the whole thing made no sense. And I thought they were going to do a ground assault or something. I didn't know they were going to fire missiles from the shuttlecraft. Oh, right. Yeah, so that, that make makes it sense. a little better. I mean, at least they had, you know, they, these were really fighter or bombers. They were, they were bombing craft. So, okay, that makes a little more sense. But still, shoot them from orbit. Jeepers, guys. Yeah, I mean, we have precedent in the show that you could stun somebody on the yes. surface of the planet. Yes. With the ship. Sure. <laughs> and, and and they said in Bread and Circuses, uh, which was the, the Roman one. Right, right, right. Uh, Rome never fell on that planet. I mean, they, they verbally said, um, you know, you could send down a, a group of men armed with phasers and take out our entire military. But why bother? You can lay waste to our entire uh, planetary surface from orbit. So I was like, yeah, yeah, they could. So right. why send shuttles down and risk people's lives? Anyway, right. It, it does look cooler. It does. Look it cooler. was pretty cool, but 
And they got to show us the the, the, the drones. For the two panels. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they would serve a bigger purpose, but they never really did. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. You sure? I thought I'd say. All right. Now, I'm looking forward to this uh, War and Peace classic that you're going to do. Yeah, the longest UK strip ever. <laughs> all right so uh this is called spheres of war and i don't think these were officially named until they were reprinted later but but now they're both officially named so this one's spheres of war uh came out in valiant and tv 21 issues 74 through 90 that was uh february 24th 1973 to june 16th 1973 uh, writer unknown, artist by John Stokes. Um, it was reprinted in 2017 in the UK Classics Volume 3. And then also in 2020, it's part of the graphic novel collection number 121 by your favorite, Eagle Moss. The story starts with Spock losing yet again to the master chess moves of Mr. James T. Kirk. And then the Enterprise is attacked by some flying spheres that encase the Enterprise in a type of cocoon. And then they start moving, forcing the Enterprise to move along with it. They travel to the planet Thark. The spheres dissipate, and the Enterprise is then contacted by the insect leader named Sirtrak. He tells them that he needs their help in a fight between the neighboring system of Morkel. And at first, Kirk doesn't want to get involved. But once he learns that Klingons are basically controlling the Morkels, he knows that he needs to intervene. So while the Enterprise is traveling to Morkel, it is attacked by a Klingon ship and severely damaged uh, before it's able to take out the oddly shaped Klingon ship. It's a design I've never seen before. But it, it like, took out a huge chunk out of the uh, Enterprise's uh, engineering section. Knowing that they need to beam down and then blend in with the rest of the Klingons uh, at their uh, headquarters, undergo a brainwave manipulation of some sort that's supposed to make them think and act like a Klingon. They are not fitted with any cosmetic appliance or costumes or anything. In fact, the brainwave is nothing more than filler, much like this synopsis's point of discussing it, because neither Kirk nor Spock will use this Klingon brain juice throughout the rest of the story. Anyways, they beam down to the planet, and then they're able to take out a couple of the guards and uh, change their clothes, and then they make their way into the complex where they think that Sirtrak's son, who was kidnapped earlier, is being kept. On the Enterprise, Sirtrak is able to contact his son via telepathy. But the connection must have been a little fuzzy because the son thinks that he's being told to break out so that he can then be, a, so that he can then be rescued. So he's able to quite easily take out his captives and get out of the cage. So uh, Spock and Kirk eventually meet up with Sirtak's son in a hallway, but the alien thinks that they're Klingons because that's what they're dressed as, and he shoots at them. This allows the insect to escape, but it alerts the Klingons to where Kirk and Spock are. 
Kirk and Spock make their getaway only to get caught by some Morcolians. Uh, and these Marcolians are good Marcolians, not the evil ones that are lined with the Klingons, but these are good ones that are actually against their people aligning themselves with the Klingons. They help Spock and Kirk get back into the complex uh, in order to try and save the recaptured son's leader, so the uh, insect son's leader. They succeed, and while getting out, they make their ways to a Marcolian rocket and they blast off with the help of Sulu, who just happened to beam down at the right place and the right time without Kirk ever contacting Scotty and asking for assistance. So speaking of Scotty, he is in a fight to the finish with some Klingon ships. And then, because this is two pages a week, there are several weeks' worth of pages where the Enterprise and the Klingons are having a exchange of missile fire in a way... Unlike anything I've ever read in any Star Trek media. So the Klingons' plan is to bombard the Enterprise's ship's shields hard enough to not destroy the shields, but to cause vibrations throughout the ship that will leave everyone literally shaking in their boots to death. But Scotty's able to see this tactic, and he uses a couple of discarded shuttles to cause the missiles to detonate prematurely. Uh, so that they don't hit the shields directly. So Kirk and Spock make their way back to Thark. And then there's like some back and forth where the Tharks attack them because they are in a Morcolian ship. But then they're able to contact Sirtak and actually get them to stop shooting at them. And they also ask Sirtak to use the spheres from earlier in the story to encase the Klingon ship. They do so. And the Klingons actually blow themselves up trying to break free. With the Klingon influence on Morkul over, this all happened off screen I guess, uh, the two planets have now reached some sort of agreement and the Enterprise is now free to move about the galaxy. The end. Wow. So how many issues do you think they could have cut out and still told the same story? Uh, let's see, it was 16, so maybe 10? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably could have sold this in six. Yeah. Yeah, boy, this was long. Brutal. And this was, a, yeah, this was really long. Yeah. And at first, it, it started off really good. I liked the whole sphere thing. I thought, oh, man, this is kind of like they've done it before with the, uh, you know, the Enterprise being, you know, bombarded like with something that... Rubber? Yeah, the Tholian web, but there was also that one where... Oh, the black yeah, garbage was, bag? Yeah, the black garbage bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I, right. I was really getting that vibe. I guess that was a gold key, not a UK strip. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Yeah, so I was really thinking, oh, this is this is like that. And then it actually was moving, and then they're moving along with it. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a really like that one. And then it turns out to be a little different with these insect people needing needing help. From the Klingons, but uh, uh, but yeah, I kind of like the right. sphere thing. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting gimmick. Well, yeah, but right, okay. So these are metal spheres that apparently some of them are empty, or I guess they all have to have be empty to some degree because they move around by themselves. So they have their own means of propulsion. Right. Yeah. They're, they're and still, and they got radio gear because they showed that. Right. And. 
they have propulsion enough that they can move at high speeds, something that they trap. Right. Yeah. So so it has to be completely entrapped. And then I guess the warp bubble has to be around the whole sphere. <laughs> For it to be able to go so fast. Right. Yeah. Well, if it, that or else it goes painfully slow. And, and at first I was thinking, oh, my God, you have to have warp drive. And it's like then as the as the story progresses, it's like. Oh, those two planets are in the same star system? No, it says this, it says a near neighboring system, so it has to be at least one star away. System. Oh, well, okay. Well, that makes that makes the whole thing make even less sense. Right. Oh my god, that makes it make less sense. Ugh. But uh, I mean, cuz they're moving between these two planets, right? In the rocket ship in the Enterprise, yeah, right. Yeah. And and that whole thing you mentioned about Sulu, you know, knowing exactly when to beam back just in time. It's like, wait a minute. The Enterprise was hightailing it to get back to the insect planet. Right. And then a while later, a whole bunch of stuff happens on the on the uh, on the bad guy's planet. And then the and then Sulu shows up and it's like, well, hold on a second. Did Scotty beam him down before they left? The vicinity of that planet, and so or are they trying just to been say twiddling his thumbs at the rocket, exactly. waiting for them to get there? Yeah, but it makes it sound more like the insect parent was in contact with the sun and knows he's in trouble. So, and that's a more recent thing. So they transported Sulu back over vast distances. Does that make sense? It, it did uh, not. No, or, or or was Sulu sitting there as you say, waiting? <laughs> On on with a with a phaser rifle, um, yeah, right. until he was needed. I, yeah, no, I I was with you, and in fact, I had to go back and re reread the beginning, um, at this part because mm -hmm. I was like, oh well, maybe it's like on two sides of the planet, right? So maybe yeah. the Enterprise, the insect people are on one one hemisphere, and the um, and these guys are on the other, you know, so they're right. separated by a planet, but not necessarily you know, a whole star system or even, mm -hmm. even a whole, you know, orbit of a planet. But, right. but no, he definitely says the the insect leader says it's a neighboring system. So that means okay. it has to be at okay. least one star system away. Okay. But yeah, no, I was, I was thinking the exact same thing about why Sulu just suddenly showed up. Right. But I mean, good thing he did. Cause they were about to get taken out by a tank and <laughs> by a tank. And then <laughs> yeah. Spock has written so weird throughout this issue. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I guess we're dead. You know, it's just like, <laughs> and then, uh, no, he says, my logic says we're finished, Captain. I mean, Spock would no. have never said that, even if no. they were about to die. And then luckily out of nowhere, um, Sulu's able to knock it out with one, one phaser rifle, phaser rifle blast. Yeah. 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 But what do you think about how Spock's written here? I mean, throughout the whole thing, he's so he weird. He doesn't do much either. I mean, you hey, okay, Vulcan neck pinch. Okay, so that happens. Right. And then, for the most part, he's like there for the ride. But then Kirk also seems so stupid. He's like, yeah. he, like he can't make any decisions, and he's like, well, not no, always. no, no. Somebody's given directions, and he's like, you better talk to Scott. You better talk to Spock because uh, that's more his. <laughs> thing it's more his right. thing. I don't know what left and right is. <laughs> North? What the hell's North? His logical mind is more equipped to deal with what you're talking about. Yeah, you just, you like... just speak with big words. 
I was, I was, and I know, I know they've said Kirk was able to beat Spock at uh, chess, but yeah, even hello. right from the beginning, it was just like, I don't remember him saying that Spock could never beat him. Okay, let's talk about, let's talk about that chess game. Okay, just for a minute, since you brought it up. Yeah. Exactly. So, so they, they, they basically lifted this whole idea from Court Martial, a Taz episode, where they had a very similar starting point in the episode where Kirk and Spock are, are doing the, the chess thing. And yes, Kirk ends up beating Spock, but he's not like, glo- not gloating over it. And oh my God. I mean, what, what, what does he, what, what does Spock say? He says, well, I confound be- it. Well, yeah, confounded. I never saw that possibility. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't he say before that panel that I have been waiting to beat you for months? Right. Months? Months? I always had the impression that Spock and Kirk, you know, were similar skill levels. Right. But Kirk was able to use intuition or emotion or whatever. And then that had helped him to win sometimes. Right. But they're making it sound like Kirk always wins. Yeah. And poor, stupid Spock can't win a thing. It's like, really? No, I don't think so. And and Kirk, and more salt in the wound. Kirk beats him in three moves? Three moves. Yeah, I don't think so. Anyway. Right. Yeah, no, it, I, that was... That was immediately off character for me, and then it it never righted itself. They both yeah. started acting so stupid later. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, they, they would never act like this. Yeah. And what's with the what's with the Klingon brainwave device? Did that serve any purpose at all aside from wasting a week's worth of panels? Okay, okay, hold on. Let's make sure we're clear what we're saying, talking about. So that's the device on the Enterprise that supposedly makes Kirk. And Spock think like a Klingon, right. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was that one part where Spock uses human colloquialisms uh, to get to to convince a Klingon guard that they're guards that just been drinking too much or something, right? Right. Without even seeing them, they don't even yeah. have to see them just from the because, bushes because they're running around in the bushes in Starfleet uniforms. I mean. It was so okay, bad. even if you even if ships stores all of a sudden can't make up costumes, which they did repeatedly in Taw's episodes, put on a T-shirt or something. <laughs> oh, their uniforms are pretty much T-shirts. No, put on <laughs> something that's not a uniform of your bitter enemy. Right. Oh my God. No, and in fact, I'll be honest. When that started, and they showed the device being hooked up, and I was like, Oh man, maybe this is. What you know, Kirk had to go through to look like the Romulan in the oh. Romulan incident. I was like, oh, this oh. this would actually be really cool, yeah, you know, right. if if yeah. if we found out that it wasn't just ears glued on his head, that he actually had to go through all the stuff. And then the next page, they're in their normal uniforms, beaming down, and and I was like, oh well, so that was worthless. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I did like all the shots of the Enterprise with the, you know, its belly gutted Big out. Hole. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty good. I like that. I like that, too. But it didn't That's go good. anywhere, either. It was just like it's, when they needed to start fighting, it was just all fixed without any oh, yeah. explanation. And and how many Klingon D7 cruisers? And by the way, I do like the fact that they're drawing pretty good D7s. 
when they get attacked at the end, but at the beginning, what was that ship? The weird one that took out the Enterprises. Well, I know. They made it sound like it was a Klingon ship, but that is not a Klingon. No Klingon design I ever saw. Right. Yeah, that was confusing. Now, I thought, because I never saw it before, it was uh, what uh, Morcolium, whatever. It's one of those guys. Yeah, but their ships are like traditional rockets. I agree. And and but and when they were reporting, when they were talking about, when they were radio radioing back to people, they were radioing back. It, it, it they were Klingons that right. were involved in in being, you know, looking for the ship. Uh, what did they say? I forgot they said exactly, but something like they've lost contact with one of their ships. Okay, well it must be a Klingon ship, but it doesn't look like a Klingon ship. Anyway, right. But yeah, yeah it's definitely a D seven later when they're. Uh, right. When they're being attacked with that yeah. weird missile barrage thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so they were able to take out. I mean, they were calling off the numbers. Like, ooh, uh, Cruiser 9 was destroyed and Cruiser 6 was destroyed or whatever it was. Right. So either they're actually saying there were nine ships there <laughs> or they're saying they've got single digit registry numbers or something, which doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Um, anyway. Yeah, so we only see five on the view screen, and then yeah. we only see one actually in space because, you know, budgetary constraints, they couldn't show us all of them. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I see the view screen one with the, with a yellow background. What's that about? Space is not yellow. Um, <laughs> so I, I agree with that. And then I thought there was another spot where you saw, but you still didn't see that many. No, yeah, I think you only see the one. Oh, 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 hold on. Okay, so back when the first one was all exploding with the first salvo, I see one, two, three, four, five, maybe six. I see maybe six of them. You're including the debris? Well, yeah, so so the one big explosion. Yeah. And there's another smaller smaller explosion. And then, but as, as far as ship and ship parts... I see enough for at least one, two, three, right. four. Yeah, I agree. Five, maybe All six. Right, I take back what I said. You did have a, a, an establishing shot. There was an establishing shot, which was not the clearest thing in the world. Uh, but it was the first time we get to see the D7s. And uh, I, I just appreciate that they bothered. Right. At least in that panel. It is a cool ship. I mean, I would say up there with uh, Enterprise, it's... My two, those are my two favorite Taz yeah. era ships. Yeah, the original Romulan sh- uh, cloaking ship was useless. It, it was okay, but yeah, eh, yeah, eh. right. But the D seven, that was a good design. And then it kind of reverses itself, and for next generation, Enterprise D loved it, and then the Romulan Warbird oh. was. Those were my two favorite ships of that. Yeah, though you know. The fact that the front of the ship looks kind of like a head is kind of like what, but boy, it works. Oh yeah, yeah. And then then they then they whole establish the the Romulan logo with the with the Raptor with the uh, mm-hmm. Romulan and Remus in its claws. It's just like oh man, they they. I don't know if it was all originally designed that way, but it fits so perfect. And then it's kind yeah. of a callback to the bird design on the Taz Belly. ship. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, they those. That, those were my favorite ships from that from that era. Yeah. And the Klingon ones, they always just kind of look like the D7, which 
was kind of cool, but none of it blew me away. Yeah. However, Star Trek Online goes far enough in the future, in the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. that there is actually a, you know, they, they there is an, an Earth Klingon alliance of some kind, and the first ship they produce uh, jointly is, it looks like it's half Enterprise and half D7. Hmm. And it's really interesting, and it looks really good. And uh, Eagle Moss, it's one of their more recent uh, ships that they're offering. <laughs> you can pre-order it, and it looks really cool. I think it looks really good. Yeah, it's yeah. all white, and it's got kind of a saucer on the front. Yeah. But then the rest in the back is much more like a D7. All right. I'll have to look it up. It's worth looking up. I haven't okay. been to the Eagle Moss site in oh, several months. Site. What a great site. Okay. So um, I did not mention, uh, only because it was really stupid, mm-hmm. the uh, tunneling underneath the... Um, ah, tunneling with phasers. Yes. Tunneling underneath the uh, the the complex in order mm-hmm. to get to the, alien, the, the sun the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they literally just start drilling a hole on one side of the wall and then come up under the ground. Uh, yep. And they even do like this very cartoony <laughs> like shot where it shows like the black ground above and below. And then Spock's just like shooting his phaser. And mm-hmm. I guess the rock's just disappearing, not melting. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I would think yeah. there would be fumes or something where you wouldn't be able to just walk right be- or crawl right <laughs> behind it. Yeah. Right. Well, we know from Hogan's Heroes and other World War II movies, uh, you got to do something with all that dirt when you're digging tunnels. Right. Exactly. But, I mean, so now we know there's another rock, there's another rock setting on the phasers. It's not just heat up rocks. <laughs> it's also evaporate rocks. Well, it disintegrates. It's got a disintegrate setting. Yeah, I never saw it work on rocks. I thought that was no, just for no. human flesh. Oh, why would it just be for human flesh? It's disintegration. It can, destroy, it can disintegrate anything. Wow. Even tanks, obviously. Uh, apparently so. Although apparently that just explodes, not not just disintegrates. Anyways, again, that was another thing that was just like, you're spending two pages, which is a whole week's worth of comic, <laughs> on this tunnel thing. Yeah. There's a lot of weird shenanigans, and, and like I said, nobody acts right, so I kind of left out of the synopsis. <laughs> yeah, and this is another one that just bounces back and forth between locations that just doesn't make sense. Um, I did another th- another call back to the court-martial scene. They actually bothered drawing Kirk and Spock in their dress uniforms when they first go over to meet the insect leader. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool that they bothered, and, yeah. and it looks good. I mean, it, it looks like the uniforms that Kirk and Spock had used in multiple episodes, but definitely in the episode Court Martial. Um, yeah, I thought it cool. was, I mean, if you got captured by somebody and brought to them, I mean, would you, I get why you're doing it, because technically it's a planetary leader and you want to want to look your best, but also they... <clears throat> They kind of kidnapped you, so... Yes, they did. Would you bother going through the ceremony? Yeah. And by the way, these are insects. 
they don't wear clothes. So would they really kind of even know what the hell you're doing? Would they appreciate the effort? Would they exactly? Would they would they actually recognize the the gesture? I say no. I say no also. But uh, you get to see you get to see the different uniforms. That's cool. Yep. For two panels and then it's back to <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, you're right. That that is a good attention to detail. Yeah. So the first time I saw. Um, what the 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 Marcolian leader, mm-hmm. who kind of looks like a green Ben Grimm, maybe definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, but the first thing that said that that popped in my head was uh, Lou Gossett in, as the alien from Enemy Mind. Oh yeah, I, I can see oh, that too. So that's the first thing that popped into my head. But then I went ahead and looked up the picture, and it's like, oh, it's it's not that close. But still, you know. Because he had he had he has like like brown skin, right? Uh, Lou Gossett in, in all the makeup and everything, and this guy's clearly green, but still. <laughs> That's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. That was great. And uh, it's based on a book. Have you ever read the book? I've never read the book. Yes. But yes, yes. I, I'm aware of the book. So the book's pretty good. Well, the original book's pretty short. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a novella, not really a full book. But then mm-hmm. the author was able to do the adaptation of the movie. And so oh. he added tons of stuff that wasn't in the movie or the first book. I mean, it's like mm. that he took that as his way of like really flushing out this universe that he may not have gotten to do in the first his first pass. Mm-hmm. And then he's actually written like maybe three more books after that based after the events of that movie. Oh, cool. Okay. That uh, that are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Barry Livingston, I think is his name, something like that. Don't check it because I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't. I mean, Don't worry about it. I know it starts with an L. How about that? Okay, close enough. <laughs> but no, nah, that's good stuff. But yeah, yeah. I, I I can see it. But I don't. I'm definitely the Ben Grimm thing. Definitely looks like that. Yeah. Another little random comment. There is a panel where Kirk is speaking to, and Spock's in the background, is speaking to the alien leader, whatever. And then this is just after they found out about the Klingons. And, and then Kirk says, uh, if those fiends have a, full, a, a foothold in this system, it's our duty to intervene. This puts a new complexion on things, Sectrack. And Kirk, for some reason, is colored uh, dark brown. So his skin is dark brown. Uh, now, Fock is right behind him, and he's got he's a lighter color. But for whatever reason, oh. now I don't know whether that has anything to do with the his, his line about this changes the complexion of things. But I just I just found it odd. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, oh! I you know, the did you find it? Did yeah, that whole it? panel's all weird. That might have just been a coloring mistake. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it probably was a coloring mistake. But I'm just like. But you're really harping odd. on the complex and. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. I like to make things make sense too, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and his hair. Sure, his it could be a not coloring error, but maybe they were trying to do a little joke. Oh. <laughs> mm. Well, okay, so there are other ones where for no reason at all, 
Kirk and Spock are green, completely green. Right, or or orange or yellow, just like uh-huh. every every, bo- every uh-huh. part of them is is colored that. Yep. Yeah. Later on the pla- on the on the planet, at when you know Kirk and Kirk's dressed up as Klingon and stuff, he's got clearly red hair. I mean, this is like Archie red hair. This is red hair. <laughs> And it's like, well, is the red hair supposed to be part of the Klingon outfit? Or this is just another wackadoodle coloring choice? Yeah, I'm going to go with coloring. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to imagine these magazines were probably newspaper print, I would sure. imagine. I mean, I've never actually owned any of these magazines. But, mm-hmm. I mean, comic books at the time was newspaper print. So Right. It's not the good cl- glossy IDW no, but uh, that we get now. No. No, but clearly people are making coloring decisions based on what 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 ink they've got more of that week. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Or whatever's on the other side of the page is like eh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Another one that was interesting is uh <laughs> when when uh, Kirk and Spock are supposed to be like, uh, you know, they got the, the the Klingon way of thinking put into their head. Uh, there's a part where they're talking to, to two other Klingons and they say, uh, it's all quiet now. We've had a couple of our chaps sneaking in after curfew. Chaps? Chaps. So... Okay, I didn't know Klingons were English, but it just kind of reminds you the fact that this truly is a UK comic. Right. Yeah, and where are they? I mean, they're acting like, oh, we stayed out too late. Don't don't turn us in. I mean, but mm-hmm. where would they be going? It's not like we've seen <laughs> bars know. and stuff with Klingons fraternizing with Marcolians. Well, we haven't seen it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Right. But... but Considering they look like Ben Grimm, uh, probably not. Can't have a drink with Ben Grimm. Well, no. It's a little rude of you, Ken. I was thinking more towards a. Oh, you're thinking about like a, a brothel situation. Not necessarily brothel, but you know, just having some female. Not necessarily always sexual. Get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, companionship. Hmm. Okay. I mean, but yeah, I mean, that's obviously where they're going with it, but I, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that was a little weird. I don't ever yeah. see, I don't ever see the Klingons fraternizing like that in, in this type of situation, but I don't think like a Klingon, like obviously they well, do. Yeah. And, and what they're trying to do <laughs> is they're trying to make, they're trying to make the Klingon grunt soldier seem like. You know, an English or American or French or whoever grunts soldier. Right. Who might be, you know, maybe not, you know, wanting after after all the hard work being a soldier, you know, you want to blow off some steam. Right. But I thought it was funny that he's like, hey, don't turn us in. OK, we, we stayed out a little too late. And then they're yeah. like, well, you better be glad we're the ones that caught you. Go exactly. on. And then yeah. immediately they knock out two two other Klingons and then mm-hmm. they're coming back again. And the first thing out of that guy's mouth is, we saw a couple people sneaking in after curfew. It's like mm-hmm. you ratted them out the minute you could. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was funny. After he made a big deal about 
you can trust me. Good thing you came to me. <laughs> well, it's a Klingon. What do you expect? <laughs> they are untrustworthy. They are untrustworthy. Um, I I do give kudos to the artist drawing a reasonably good Taz Klingon disruptor. It was inked as red, but the shape of it is not bad. Well, what about reasonably their costumes? Correct. Well, the costumes are totally wrong. Yeah, okay. I mean, okay, I, I don't... Re- now, in Taz, I'm not talking about the later movies and whatever, but in Taz, Klingons all, all, almost always, 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 to the, my recollection, they never had helmets on. Some of the Romulans did, but right. I never remember Klingons having helmets. And maybe there was an exception where maybe they did, but I don't remember it. But the Grunt soldiers definitely have so have helmets on. Through, through all of this. And another thing is, towards for a lot of their covert mission, um, even when they, they got uniforms, a lot of times they didn't have helmets on. Right. Spock. So flaunting those ears. Exactly. Now, they finally at the end, or near the end, they finally put helmets on. But I, don't know, I just found it very strangely inconsistent that they uh, did not use Klingon garb that could cover up Spock's obvious non-Klingon features. Right. A feature that they actually used to their advantage when they were being attacked by the Marcolians that thought they were Klingons, and they're like, right. do Klingons have these ears? Hmm? Exactly. Hmm. I think I have a point here. Hmm? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe the writer, you know, in week 10 was like, oh, crap, I should have put the helmet on him. I'm going to write that in as a, as a plot point. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about Scotty's and uh, the the fight between Scotty and the the Klingon oh we mean the ships yeah 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 the ship fight sure go ahead so it was just a missile barrage right but I've never I've never heard of missiles hitting the shields and then causing vibrations throughout the ship and then that somehow Hmm. killing everybody that that was kind of a new thing to me well, I think that's why you have inertial dampeners, right? One of the many things inertial dampeners do for you. Right. I would think inertial dampeners would make that, would nullify that vibration they're talking about. Exactly. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking that, and then I was also thinking um, Captain America. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I'm reading right. these, my, my mind tends to wander a bit. But uh, his shield thing is also supposed to nullify all vibrations, unless it doesn't, right? Because I mean, there's unless unless he's like punching through it. There's there's times where he'll put the he'll put the shield up somewhere and then he'll punch it from the back and then that sends the vibrations out, you know, to to knock somebody out or something like that. It's just like it can't be both. You can't. Can't nullify and intensify depending on what you're wanting it to do. Right. So that, that's what the, these shields reminded me of is that in this story, it's <laughs> not going to work right. Yeah. Well, as per usual, technology works the way the writer needs it to. That's true. I guess I can't fault them for that. Yeah. Well, you can, but it's a cheat. But yeah, it's something that's done quite often. But yeah, boy, they, they spent a lot of time on that fight, I thought. They did. Too long. And it was just talky, talky, talky about how many missiles they're going to shoot. 
<laughs> and how many how many they have left. Right. And blah, 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 blah. But still, the Enterprise ends up taking out, like, what, six yeah. <laughs> cruisers? Uh, so, wow. Good. Again, that that's convenience, too. So they make it sound like a very large number. So how can, oh, the Enterprise is going to be destroyed. Oh, my God. Uh, and then, you know, down to one, magically. And then we're down to one. And then they keep, they do keep saying that they have to bring the shields down in order to shoot the photon yes. or not not photon torpedoes and the missiles the missiles which I've yes. never it, heard before. Well, I agree, but I mean at least that makes a little more sense, doesn't it? I mean, through all of Taws and every other show, they are shooting photon torpedoes and phasers uh, apparently through the shields, unless they're able to make a small hole that is just perfect in the shields that'll allow the munitions to leave the ship and go on their way. Uh, that never was ever explained. Well, if you go with the idea that the shields are literally just like a little bit, uh, uh, just a little bit, you know, uh, off from the, the ship, not like Which a I never bubble. subscribed to, but well, yes, that, that's what it looks like in Star Trek too. So I'm just saying, I saw those little LEDs show the oh, shields, yeah. and it was a perfect, uh, perfect outline, outline of, the, of ship. the ship yes and i think that was a graphic no i think that's the way it is no but that would be make that sense way it's gotta be a bubble like in those, tng you could just turn off one of those leds and, and fire <laughs> fire through it and then turn well, it back, well turn it back yeah on. okay so turning off one of your leds yes so fine so that's not all that different from you know making a little hole in the shield but having to redo completely drop your shield so you can fire stuff out that makes sense in a lot of ways, but it also seems a little over, you know, a little much. I mean, with this level of technology, you'd think they'd have, but eh. But they do have to always take down the shields in order to, and beam, they made, to, they, to beam people through, which true. if you could just turn off a little section, then why couldn't they do yeah, that? Exactly. Let's just turn it off where the, that uh, is, you know. That, the, is a, that is a classic Taw's track period inconsistency. It's not always in. It's. It's been pretty consistent. When, what do you mean by? Well, it? no, you, you, you can shoot phasers and photon torpedoes while the shields are oh, up, right, but right, you right, can't right. transport. Can't transport, right? That's the part I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but now since JJ, uh, you can you can do it all. You, you can, can do anything you want. You to. can beam while at warp. You can uh, beam through shields and over huge distances. Well, that's transwarp, so we'll give them that. Well, I mean transwarp beaming. Transwarp beaming. Yeah, but they can do that now. They can do it now, yeah. And the common criticism is, well, what do you need ships for now? Right. Well, that was your criticism in the last issue. Well, why go down there and fight? You could just do it with a ship. Well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> why Why risk your people? Why risk yourself? Right. Anyway. You could just beam down some uh, photon torpedoes and nuke it from orbit. It is the only way to be sure. <laughs> True. All right. So, so you like the Superman reference, I assume. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, was that supposed to be Scotty? Or I don't just know. Some it, it it seemed like it was Scotty, but then it seemed like Scotty was the one that was uh, chastising him. So I don't know. <sighs> okay. Well, anyway, so the line is: this is after they're able to, uh, you know, I forgot what they did exactly, but <laughs> yeah, hey, the skipper's a flaming Superman. 
which it's funny how many different slang definitions words can glom onto. Right, yes, because uh, I don't think he meant anything negative by it. Well, neg- well, it isn't necessarily negative, but this is this is this is obviously very positive. He's calling him a Superman, and not only that, a flaming Superman. I kind of like the what Morcolian rocket ship that they took. You did like it? it? I did because it kind of like is is some it's it's a melange of a jet fighter and a rocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have made it just a rocket, just a triple. Traditional rocket, but they made it actually kind of sort of a little bit like a fighter jet. It's got the the intakes on the side, and it's got little stubby wings, and uh, I kind of like the white and blue and black colors. I, and, and I definitely like when you first see it blasting off of the launch pad. Right. That looks pretty cool. I like the drawing. So you mentioned about uh, what the Klingon commander wanted to do to the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Isn't he a sadistic poophead? I mean... Here's what okay well okay so at one point he wanted to ring the shields and kill everybody that way right. so sadism and this one um, I want to maneuver into a position where I can blast the lower pods away and leave their command dome to drift helplessly until all within perish slowly it's like oh my gosh Marquis de Sade. This guy is not nice. Good thing he is, though. Otherwise, they wouldn't have won. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, it wouldn't have been enough time for those space... Spheres. Pebbles. Right. Space rocks, whatever, to uh, envelop the ship. And wouldn't right. it be amazing? I mean, wouldn't you think you'd be able to just do warp five in any direction and those things couldn't couldn't catch you? Yeah, but they didn't. They waited until they were almost surrounded, and then they fired on them. But... Okay, so I'm talking about back early in the show. Oh, oh the Enterprise? Or no, earlier in the storyline. Yeah. Where the doing. Enterprise already knew how these things work. And then they're taken to the, the insect planet. And then the, the rocks, you know, detach. And then it's like, at that point, they knew what it was. You know, warp right. five, let's get out of here. <laughs> so don't even listen to why they were brought there? Ah, heck with them. <laughs> no, but I'm just thinking, drop a photon torpedo on the way. Just like, ah, this I'm saying you could have done that, <laughs> but I mean they made a big deal that Sulu or somebody was just, you know, re retelling why they can't get away. Right. And it's like I think you could get away. I don't think those space rocks are going to keep up with a with a warp capable enterprise. But, uh, but. but when they were encased, they couldn't get away because they well, no, said that it was that. actually attached to the shield somehow. Shields, right. And if you dropped your shields, I guess they would attach to the hull? Or, or they would just crush you? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't clear. We At the time, we thought they were mean, but it was just a way to get them to come here. To become friends. Yeah. I mean, they could have sent a message, but this was uh, exactly. more direct, I guess. Exactly. You know, you always want to kidnap your saviors. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> That's why I have two policemen in the basement. <laughs> Just in case. If I ever need them, I know where they're at. Exactly. That was a joke. I don't have a basement. <laughs> boom, boom. Uh, anyways, okay, I don't have anything else. I, I'm really I'm nitpicking done. at this point. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, these comics have their charm, but, you know, 
and they're aimed at kids. But sure. It's like, and and they've got they got reasons they write things the way they write them. Right. The the weekly format and everything. You gotta have a cliffhanger. Okay, it's fine. But when you read it all in one string, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, it just keeps going. Yep. So that's why we're not gonna read the last two issues next week. We're gonna take a break. no. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna pull out some nice glossy paper and read uh, <laughs> IDW's Year Five. Exactly. Go back to seeing some very nice artwork and hopefully top-notch scripting. But we'll see. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be. I think we're continuing the uh, the evil Gary Seven uh, storyline. So I, I'm. Bye. I'm really curious to see where they go with that because uh, yeah. I don't like seeing him as a bad guy. No, I don't either. So I'm hoping there's a there's a reason for it, a long-term plan that uh, we're just not aware of that's going right. to justify it all, but it is going to be hard. Yeah. Because he did try to kill for Kirk. everything he did. Oh, yeah. Bloody, bloody, man. Yeah. So the last thing we saw was the Harry Mudd arc wrap-up. Trying to become and president. So yeah. Right. And now I think the last thing we saw was Gary Seven talking to the leader of the isolationists. Or no, originalist. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. So he sees he's going to try to use her and their, and their organization. So we will see where it heads with 17 and 18. Yeah, so we'll do two issues. So should be right. good. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. All okay. right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.